Uh, let's ask God to help us with his word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we pray now that in your mercy your word would do its work in our lives. It would help us to trust and keep on trusting Jesus and that it would so teach, rebuke, correct and train us that we would be ready to live as his followers in all circumstances. Help me now to teach your word truthfully and clearly and help us to understand it and to receive it as the word of our God, the living God, to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we can all be nice when we want to, put on a good show to impress, whether it's that job interview or a first date. But we also know that, well, if we want to know what somebody is really like, we need to see them under pressure. You know, that's when character is revealed, isn't it? Whether it's financial or the emotional pressure of loneliness or the physical stress uh, made by the demands of caring for an elderly relative or a newborn, that's when you learn about people's true character, when they say they can control their tongue or not or whether they'll be faithful or not, whether they'll live up to the standards they professed or not. Characters revealed under trial. And that's true of faith. The character of someone's faith is revealed by what their faith does under trial when they are under pressure. Today we're going to see faith. The faith that God has said is the faith that justifies, the faith that brings life under pressure. We'll see faith in dangerous places in the life of Moses and his parents and his people. In their lives, we'll see what faith in the living God does when facing death, oppression, the anger of the powerful, what faith does when facing situations where, well, well, you seem to have run out of options. And we're doing this so that as those who have faith in God through having faith in Jesus, we can be confident that faith will bring life, that it will actually get us through, that it'll keep us amongst those who preserve their souls. And we're also doing this so that we can continue this diagnostic check. Hebrews 11 is running on our own faith. That's right, Hebrews 11 is giving us opportunity to test the health of our faith, to see whether the character of our faith is the character of the faith that gives life. Oh, and to also help us see what we need to do to keep our faith healthy. Keep it the faith that brings life. Oh, and if you're not yet a believer, as you're hearing what's here in Hebrews 11, you might like to think about what we see here of the power of faith in the true and living God to give life. And ask yourself whether whatever it is you have faith in now, whether it's yourself or your traditions or science or other gods, Ask whether that can deliver life in the face of life's trials and dangers as we see faith in the true God delivers life. Well, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Faith, in this case the faith of Moses' mum and dad, Amran and Jochebed, gave them courage to resist the Pharaoh's command to kill their son, to say no to his unrighteous demand. Now you may remember 
the story of Moses' birth from Exodus, the descendants of Abraham, now called Hebrews, had come down to live in Egypt when there'd been a time of great famine in Palestine. Uh, And they'd done well initially under Joseph, but Joseph had died. But over the years, they'd done so well that the new Egyptian king, the new pharaoh, had decided that their growth and their population had to be curtailed. And so when the Israelite midwives had failed to cooperate in killing the newborn males as Pharaoh had demanded, Pharaoh gave this command to his people that they kill all the newborn sons of the Hebrews by drowning them in the Nile. But Moses' parents sought to frustrate Pharaoh's wicked decree. They defied him and his power and hid their child. And why did they do that? Well, it says, by faith. How was faith at work? Why was it faith and not just natural affection? Well, it says, because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Beautiful here has the sense of being handsome, that the child possessed visible signs of God's favour. And for Moses' parents, they believed, they had faith that God was the giver of life. And so they saw in the child's beauty that God had a purpose for him, a purpose as yet unknown to them. And it says they didn't fear the king's edict. Now there was reason to fear, as we see in the command to drown the children. The king's power was absolute, the power of life and death. But Amran and Jochebed had faith in, they trusted that God was the real king, the one whose will was done, the one you should really fear. And so their faith in the unseen God, the creator, the giver and ruler of life became the source of their courage to resist this cruel and unrighteous decree, the source of their courage to do what was right and save and preserve life. They wouldn't be coerced into this destructive wickedness or acquiesce in evil. By faith in God, they made the decision to keep God's command that human life should be protected. And their faith was fruitful of great good, a good at the time unseen and unknown to them. For this child, Moses, grew up to be the one chosen by God to liberate his people. Knowing God's righteous commands, knowing God's rule over all of life, If you're a believer in Jesus, does your faith show itself in a determination not to share in the wickedness of others? Not to say go along with the pride that believes it has authority to destroy lives it hasn't created, lives that don't fit the plan, lives that are seen as a threat to the wealth and position of the privileged. Does your faith show itself encouraged to do what's right, even when under the pressure of government? or social expectations to treat life with contempt. We need the faith that is fearless because it fears God so that we can keep on doing what's right. For example, we should be protecting the lives of our own unborn when there's pressure on us to abort them because we trust God who gives life. Another example, we shouldn't be sharing in the teaching 
of, say, destructive error about sexuality as if that teaching were true, as if it were true that you can have sex outside of the committed relationship of marriage without consequences, as if it's true that you'll find contentment in seeking to redefine your gender from the gender you were born with. We shouldn't share in the teaching of that destructive error because we trust the God who is the Lord and giver of life. And we shouldn't fear if doing right threatens our work or finances because we know that God is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is the source of all our good. So if you're a believer in Jesus, do you have the faith that gives you the courage to say no to not conform to unrighteous commands. But there's more to learn from the faith of Moses and the story of Moses. By faith, our author says, Moses said no to worldly privilege and pleasure, the worldly privilege and pleasure that would have stopped him from being one of God's people. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. In Exodus, the story of Moses goes on to relate how at the end of that three months, Moses' parents could no longer hide him at home, and so they made for him a watertight basket, put Moses in it, placed him among the reeds by the riverbank. And one day that basket was discovered by a daughter of Pharaoh and eventually she took him home to be brought up as her own son. Now in her household, Moses had access to all the education, the wealth, the privileges of the royal family of Egypt. And he was well connected and the path to a life of respectable responsibility and satisfying leisure was open to him. While meanwhile, his fellow Hebrews were condemned to be slave labour on Pharaoh's building projects, a despised, oppressed and abused people. Yet it says, Moses turned his back on his connection to power and privilege, turned his back on his life of ease to identify with the Hebrews, the people of God. Our author knows that because in Exodus 2 it's recounted that Moses, seeing one of his kinsmen, a fellow Hebrew, being abused, slew, killed the abuser. Now that impulsive intervention was just the expression, not the cause of Moses' determination to identify with his people, an expression of an attitude that was already settled in his mind and had come to be by faith. He already rejected the privilege, refusing to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter. He'd already turned his back on the fleeting pleasures of sin. He had chosen to share in the mistreatment of the people of God. Now think of the cost to Moses of that decision. Loss of connection with the powerful. Loss of protection from the mistreatment other Hebrews suffered. Embracing the status of a slave race. And let's not minimise that those fleeting pleasures, those fleeting advantages of sin were real pleasures, real advantages. I mean, it is nicer, isn't it, to sit down to a good meal 
than the daily limited fare of a labourer. It's more comfortable being inside working, as it were, on the plans than toiling all day in the hot Egyptian sun. More enjoyable to mix with those of your own class and education. Oh, better to have the wealth, isn't it, to indulge your interests. We know that, don't we? It's much better, much nicer to be in the new, new Persia than the battered 15-year-old Commodore. To be able to go out to a good restaurant than to have to go to the food bank. It's better, isn't it, to have some choice of the work you do than to have to take whatever menial role comes around to know who to speak to when you have an issue rather than to be, anon uh, be anonymous before an uncaring bureaucrat. Wealth and connection, we know, bring real pleasures and real advantages, but Moses gave it all up. Why? What was the cause of this radical change in his life, in his lifestyle? Well, it says faith. Faith in the promises of God to his people. That faith led him to make a calculation of what was more valuable because it convinced him of the certainty of God's promise to his people and it says he was looking for his reward. And you see the calculation in verse 26. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. Now, the treasures of Egypt were real treasures. Egypt was proverbially wealthy. It was the bread bowl of the Mediterranean, renowned for its wealth. They were real. And on the other hand, Moses' choice, the reproach of Christ. Now, what's that? Well, it's the reproach, the shame God's people bear for being identified with God's king, the Christ, for being identified with God's purpose and rule in the world. Moses is choosing to identify with the shame of those being shamed because they are God's people in the world. And they experience that shame because the world treats God's people as they treat God's Christ, God's King. The Christ, you see, is the one who exercises God's rule in the world under God's rule. And so he embodies and expresses the rule of God in this world. And the world's enduring hostility to God's rule means that that hostility is then focused on the Christ. And God's people, those who acknowledge that rule and live under it by confessing that Jesus is the Christ, endure that reproach by their association with him. But why, when speaking of Moses' experience, is the reproach of God's people described in this way, reproach of Christ. Well, firstly, it's actually suggested by the Exodus account. Remember how God describes his people to Pharaoh? He says, Israel is my firstborn son. Israel is already, you see, spoken of God's son, the firstborn, who is the heir of God's rule in the world, a reality fulfilled in Jesus, who is the Christ. And so reproach for Christ is the reproach for the firstborn. And of course the language of Christ is the language the first hearers of Hebrews would be able to more easily identify with. So it helps these hearers and, and us when being tempted not to identify with God's people to neglect say meeting together. It helps them and us to see that Moses' choice 
is actually the one that confronts them and us. Moses reckoned that reproach, sharing that shame, to be of greater wealth than those real, tangible treasures of Egypt. Why? Well, it's because he knew that the people of God, God's Son, possessed the promise. They had a relationship of grace with the living creator God, a relationship which, as we saw with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, goes beyond this life, for he is the God of the living. And so Moses was convinced that belonging to that despised people, the people of God, was worth everything. For by faith, Moses was convinced of the certainty of the promise. He looked to the reward. And that reward, well, that reward was what was promised to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. What's been described in this chapter already is the heavenly city, the heavenly homeland, life with God in God's presence that endures forever. He made the calculation of faith and then he acted on faith. So he could no longer take his identity from connection to the Egyptian royal family because that was a family immersed in idolatry. They thought Pharaoh was a son of God. So now his identity would come from belonging to the people of promise. Oh, and Moses recognised that those real pleasures, those real advantage were actually of sin because they came at the cost of rejecting and denying God's people. Moses couldn't hang on to those privileges and pleasures without distancing himself from the people of God, separating himself from them. And faith taught him that compared to the promise, those pleasures and privileges were actually fleeting, even if they lasted all life long. Or more, as we read on in Exodus, we know followed from his faith, flight from Egypt, 40 years of separation from his family, a life of testing service. Oh yes, and a vision of the living God. Hearing God's name proclaimed, seeing his glory. The fulfilment and vindication of his ministry in the coming of the Christ, our Lord Jesus. And standing beside our Lord with Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration and being brought by our Lord to his eternal home. By faith Moses said no to worldly privilege, pleasure and power so that he could belong to the people of God and share in the heavenly city. That was the calculation the first hearers had to make as well, wasn't it, as they bore the reproach of Christ that we heard about in chapter 10, abuse, imprisonment, loss of property. And to reckon reproach for Christ worth more than all is actually a, ca a calculation that every follower of Jesus must make and persevere in. You see, followers of Jesus are reckoned to make that valuation that he is worth more than everything from the beginning, called to leave all to follow Jesus, to count everything, as Paul says, as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing him, count everything as refuse so that he can be found in Christ and have the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ worth everything. And believers in Jesus 
are called to keep choosing the reproach of Christ. Keep on identifying with God's people and bearing the shame and the embarrassment sometimes of that to value that above the fleeting pleasures and advantages of belonging to the well-connected who disdain Christ and despise his people. Now, for some of you, that may not be an easy choice. Because of your ability and connections, the world may offer you real privileges, academic respectability, financial reward, a life of ease and pleasure, opportunities to fulfil your dreams of satisfying work or that wonderful location. The world will offer you that, all possible if you will just distance yourself from Christ and his people, stop meeting with them, be embarrassed by being around them. Well, you have to remember all those things are fleeting. And faith, faith in the promise of God to us in the gospel of Jesus will give you life. And faith, which makes the promise certain and the unseen real, will give you the courage to say no. No to those privileges and pleasures. The no that will include you in God's people. The no that will break the golden chains that bind you to those privileges and connections. The no that will save your life and bring you to your reward. So, believer in Jesus, you ought to ask yourself, who are you identifying with? Who do you want to be seen with? Who do you want to be to mix with? Who do you want to impress? Who do you want to be approved by? People who love Jesus and love Jesus' people or people who look down and despise them? You have the courage to break the golden chains, to identify with, to serve the people of God, Christ's people. And if not, well, you need a bigger picture of Jesus and what he's come to rescue you from. You need a conviction of your sin and how it brings upon you God's judgment. And you need a conviction of the surpassing worth of knowing that righteousness that comes only through faith in Jesus that will spare you from the wrath of God, bring you peace and to know a sure and eternal love. Well, Moses' identification uh, with God's people brought a life of service where his faith was abundantly seen. But our author now focuses on another incident. By faith, he, Moses, left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, there's discussion amongst the commentators about whether this leaving Egypt speaks of Moses' flight to Midian, which followed Pharaoh's discovery of Moses' killing, the next event recorded in Exodus 2, or whether it refers to his departure from Egypt after the Passover. Well, in, in favour of the first view is that it is actually the next in sequence. But what speaks against it is, as you can see, our text explicitly says at that time, Moses was afraid, and that's why he's fled. I think it's better to see the phrase left Egypt as actually encapsulizing, encapsulating, summarizing the whole confrontation with Pharaoh that takes up Exodus chapters 5 to 12. 
You see, those chapters are all about Moses being able to leave Egypt to go to Sinai with God's people. Chapter 5 starts with Moses telling Pharaoh that he must let the people go. And in chapter 12 we have that final departure. Now that long confrontation is what it took for Moses and the people of God to leave Egypt. And that was a tough gig, facing Pharaoh and his court surrounded by his advisers, his wealth, his power on display, and yes, feeling Pharaoh's contempt and resistance, his hostility and anger, they were driven from his presence. But Moses persevered. He kept obeying God, confronting Pharaoh repeatedly with the word of God that demanded Pharaoh humble himself and let God's people go. And in that, he persevered. He endured, not afraid, because he lived as someone who was seeing him who is invisible. Faith, which is the conviction of things not seen, the reality of the uh, conviction of the reality of the unseen God, teaches us who to fear and who not to fear. Faith in Jesus teaches us not to fear men, but to live in respectful fear of the true and living God. But of course, verse 27 is saying a bit more. Living as seeing the one who is invisible meant Moses knew God was with him by faith. That by faith he was, in a sense, in his presence, in the presence of the great king. And so he didn't need to fear any human, including Pharaoh, and could keep on with the task God had given him. And so, believer in Jesus, do you act as seeing him who is invisible? That is, act knowing the truth of the promise Jesus has made to us all, to every believer. I am with you always. Do you act now by faith, knowing that you are in the presence always of the true king who has all authority and so that you can keep on without fear in the task that King Jesus has given you? Like Moses, for some of you, and maybe at times all of you, that task will include bringing the gospel of God to others. The gospel that calls on us all to humble ourselves and acknowledge that the true King Jesus rules the gospel, which may at times generate anger and hostility. Having faith in Jesus, seeing him who is unseen, will you keep on without fear? Our author now moves on to three key points in the journey of God's people to the promised land and moves from Moses to the faith of the people Moses led. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea on dry, on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. All this, says our author, was by faith. Moses and the people were spared the judgment of God in Egypt by faith. By faith they were able to leave the land of slavery. By faith they commenced their conquest and possession of the land of promise. And in each case it was God doing his work his way, bringing his people to enjoy what he had promised them 
by the means he had chosen, which brought glory to himself. And in each case, there's no way that what happened was humanly possible. In each case, they shared in the deliverance and victory by faith. The faith that trusted God and did as he said. So, for example, in the Passover that Moses kept, the people were spared from judgment by the blood of a sacrificial animal, a ritual killing and manipulation of the blood. They had life by listening to the deliverer God had appointed, relying on the sacrifice God had given, obeying the instructions of God. And that was the only way they could have life, for only God could spare them God's judgment. And even if the means seemed kind of strange, it was faith in God's word, his warning and promise that gave them life. Well, that life can come only from faith in God's word, believing in him and doing what he said through his appointed leader. And that faith in his promise could give life even in the most difficult and dangerous circumstances. Well, that's reinforced by the episodes at the Red Sea in Jericho. I mean, they are difficult, don't and, and again, strange. I mean, would you plan an escape route for hundreds of thousands of people that left you nowhere to go, stranded on the shore of an impassable body of water without a boat? It's worse than being up the proverbial creek, isn't it? And there's a real risk of drowning there, as the fate of Pharaoh's troops showed. Drowning or death at Pharaoh's hand. Would you wage a military campaign by having your troops walk around in a circle with the music on? Strange. And these were times of peril. Peril from a determined enemy. The peril of drowning, the peril of defeat, the parable, peril of not being able to occupy the promised land. Oh, and these were times when the evidence of their eyes actually said to them that God's way made no sense and they would fail and suffer. But having been spared judgment by faith, faith did deliver them from the land of slavery, and faith did bring them to occupy the land of promise. You see, faith knows God will do what he has promised and accepts, embraces his way. It puts the blood on the lintel, walks between the walls of water, walks around the city walls, trusts in a crucified Saviour. That's right. We face peril like the first Israelites and like the first hearers of Hebrews, the peril of judgment. Yet faith keeps on embracing God's provision to spare his people from judgment. Uh, that provision is not something we would have thought of or chosen. It's not something that makes sense to the wise and powerful of our world who trust in themselves. That provision is the blood of Jesus his sacrifice of himself for our sins. But that cleanses us and brings us into God's presence, perfects us forever, and faith holds on to God's provision. Oh, and, and like those first Israelites, we can often feel ourselves, as it were, overtaken by our enemies, caught like them between death and being overcome. That's right, isn't it? Sometimes we can feel our struggle with the world and the flesh well, it has left us in, in a place where there's no way out, no chance not to sin. Feel that we cannot live, say, except by giving in to that desire. It's so strong or 
that we have to walk out on our commitment because our pain is so great or we should let rip with our anger because it's the only way to relieve the pressure. Times where we know Christ commands but actually say our circumstances make an exception of us. In those times we have to remember that actually it is following God's instruction which is the way to life. He'll never leave us, he says, without a way of escape. And he tells us his way, to flee youthful passions, to put to death, say, what is earthly in us, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, to be completely determined, to make a break with sin, to listen to our Lord as he says, if your right hand causes you to sin, chop it off, to make that determined and complete break that says sinning is not an option because in trusting Jesus we have learnt that it is as we die to ourselves that God raises us to life and he will keep and provide a way for us to live as his people. Oh yeah and sometimes we can be puzzled can't we about how we're going to come into the possession of what God has promised us, come to possess that godly life, that character which as followers of Jesus we long for. We, we just feel even if we're doing what God says, you know, praying for help and change, confessing and repenting of our failure to live God's way, we can feel that even though we're doing those things, we are making no progress. Well, remember then, the blokes walking around the city would have not felt like they were making progress. In fact, if their gear was chafing them a little, they would have probably resented it and felt stupid. Yet, you know, God knew what he was doing in giving them the instructions he gave them. And God knows what he is doing in giving you the instruction he does, calling you to daily die to yourself, daily to put on Christ, daily to give yourself to the work of his spirit in you. And his word, following his way, will achieve his purpose for you, bring you both to the possession of the character of his son and to your eternal inheritance. Faith knows that and embraces the means God provided, the path God commands, the provision he calls on his people to rely on. And having brought us to Jericho, our author gives us one final example of life-saving faith in danger. That's the most unexpected one. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. There's Rahab, a woman in what's mainly a list of men, a foreigner in what's mainly a list of Jews and a prostitute. Yet Rahab shows above all the power of faith to save, to give life, you see, she lived among the disobedient, gross idolaters whose sexual immorality, offering of children to Moloch to be killed, whose witchcraft was condemned by God. And she had shared the life of the disobedient idolaters. Yet she did not perish with the disobedient by faith in God, a faith witnessed by her welcome of the spies, she lived. Did you hear what she believed? I know, she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land 
Oh, and then verse 11. The Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She had come to believe that their God was the only God who ruled over all and who always kept his word. And it was her faith, not her knowledge, that distinguished her from her neighbours. Did you see that? Verse 10, they all knew. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. Oh, we have heard, verse 11. They had heard of God's greatness and his commitment to his people, yet Rahab alone confessed the God of Israel as the ruler of heaven and earth who would fulfil his promise to them. And Rahab alone acted. She had faith in his rule, in keeping his word to his people. And see what her faith prompted her to do, gave her conviction to do. It was She took urgent, decisive action in welcoming and hiding the spies. She, in a sense, hadn't been seeking, had been, but, but when the opportunity came, by faith she grasped it, breaking with old loyalties, separating herself from her past idolatries because she knew everything was worth life. She had conviction of the unseen, of the greatness of God, knew the certainty of God's promise to give the land to his people. And so by faith, not by her righteousness or goodness, Rahab the prostitute saved herself and her family from God's judgment on the disobedient. Now you might be sitting here this morning and, and you might know, you might know stuff, you might know the certainty of death, you might know that it won't go well for you in the judgment when you appear before the just God. You, you might, well, know the hope of Christians. You might even entertain in your mind the thought that God has raised Jesus from the dead, but knowing is not enough. You have to act. Don't be like Rahab's neighbours. They knew, they didn't act, they perished. Rahab seized the opportunity when it came to her and lived. So you should seize the opportunity. Oh, you don't have to hide spies. But in faith in God's promise that all who call on the Lord Jesus will be saved, you do have to ask the living Lord Jesus for mercy, to forgive you, to make you one of his people. He will hear that prayer. And now is the day. Be urgent like Rahab as the opportunity comes. And faith in the promise of God will bring you life. Well, our God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, is the God of Moses, the God who triumphed over Pharaoh. Oh, the God who parted the sea, who brought down the wall. Yes, the God who raises the dead, for he has raised our Lord Jesus. He's the God whom, fearing you need fear no mortal. He's the God who can rescue a Rahab doomed to die with the idolatrous by faith. He is the God who has provided rescue for his people by his son becoming flesh and dying in our place and rising. He is the God whose instructions faithfully followed will bring you out of slavery to sin and death to live forever. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. Show your faith by having the courage to do what he says is right. 
turning to his son Jesus, trusting him, giving up all for him, not fearing other people, their opinion and power, because you have faith. And by faith you see him who is invisible. You live conscious of his present reality. Show your faith by thinking it is worth all to be one of his people, giving up the pleasure and the privilege that would keep you apart from them. Show your faith because that faith has convicted you that he rewards all those who seek him that he has given us a pro- given a promise of life to his people and he will keep it. And yes, show your faith by having the courage to keep on relying on his provision, the blood of Jesus, to spare you from judgment. Show your faith by persevering in trusting Jesus to bring you forgiveness even for your faltering faith when you know you have failed. By faith. Be bold to do what's right. Keep trusting Jesus and persevere to life. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we pray in your great mercy that you would work this faith in our hearts, the faith that has the courage to do what is right, the faith that reckons to be amongst Jesus' despised people, to bear shame for Jesus is worth more than any worldly privilege or power. The faith that listens to you and heeds your instructions and knows your provision to bring us to life. The faith that has the courage to be faithful in speaking the truth to a world that may not want to hear it. Gracious Father, give us this faith that saves. In Jesus' name, amen.